Today's episode is brought to you by our company, Sales Schema. Sales Schema helps agencies and B2B service companies build a reliable business development system through tasteful and targeted outreach. To learn more about us and check out our latest video training, go to saleschema.com slash take charge. I realized my name was on every part of the organizational chart. And so I was basically building a practice, not a business. And so when I started to shift my mindset around, around building a business and starting populating that organizational chart with different people, then I started to seeing a pathway that I can actually grow a scale without getting burnt out. And so if you look at my time today, I am the acting CEO and the president of the company. So I run the agency. My team does the strategy, the creative, the websites, all the downstream client services, the fulfillment. And in addition to that, I think for every small agency, the CEO is still going to handle high-level sales. So I do high-level sales. I have a handful of clients that I am actively involved in, and that's by choice, right? And I also wrote a book and I speak and I do interviews like this. Welcome to the Digital Agency Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Englander. Today's episode is sponsored by our company, Sales Schema, and we are a fractional new business team for marketing agencies and related marketing service companies. Even if you're not at the point of being able to hire a company like ours, I still want to do my best to help out. And today, we are giving away access to our most recent recorded video training titled Relationship-Driven New Business at Scale, emphasis on at scale. This is all about how we secure 5 to 20 weekly brand agency relationships for each one of our clients using tasteful email outreach centered on personal and or business commonalities. A few things we cover. We cover the two big shifts that have created a huge need for this approach and why we think you should rethink uh, the way your agency builds relationships and does new business. We cover the specifics on dozens of commonalities that we have used successfully to build relationships between agencies and brand side decision makers. We cover a simple follow-up process that you can use for your team, if even if you're busy, even if you're in a mixed role between sales and client service. And we cover actual copy examples that you can use to get inspired and build your own campaigns. So if you'd like to get access to the video training, which runs about 30 minutes or so, you can do that by going to saleschema.com slash relationships. Again, saleschema.com slash relationships, plural. So today on the show, we have Ray Perez. Ray is a former Fortune 500 brand consultant turned entrepreneur, best-selling author, keynote speaker, and the CEO and founder of Branding for the People, which is an award-winning branding agency that creates world-class brands that accelerate business growth. And I really enjoy this conversation because I think it offers a very useful perspective on agency thought leadership. Uh, Ray has authored a book called Your Brand Should Be Gay, even if you're not. What does that mean? Ray will go into it, but it's it's gotten most people's attention at this point. Beyond that, Ray started out speaking and developed the business that way from, from keynote addresses and that sort of thing, and has since gone on to build you know, a very successful agency through thought leadership, among many other things. So I think you're going to learn a lot from Ray. And without further ado, let's give it up for him. Hey, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Dan. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so we just got done talking, and, and you're based in Austin, which is a city that seems to be exploding with life these days, and with with agencies and with people doing interesting things. And I'd love to start out by just learning a little bit more about your background. Kind of, where did you start out? How did you come to 
forming an agency and getting into this, this life of ours. I sort of took a non-traditional route <laughs> to building an agency. I was uh, living in New York City and I was kind of working for a lot of different consulting type firms where I, my target audiences were advertising agencies, design firms, and branding firms. And it was always in the creative field. And I ended up getting my degree at NYU in organizational behavior and communications. I, I studied graphic design, but then I was like, ah, this isn't what I want to major in. So the combination of all of that and with my experience with working with creative type agencies led me to an opportunity where one of the branding firms just wanted to hire me and build up a division that was largely centered around creating a brand culture, which involved strategy, some design, but really looking at how do you take a brand and build a culture around that brand. And that sort of snowballed to getting recruited at some of the other branding firms, uh, ended up working for the top global branding firm at the time in New York. And Worked with a lot of Fortune 500 type companies, multinational companies, worked with some of the smartest and the brightest in the industry. But then I went through, I don't know, I just felt like a give a little context uh, and then get to how I started my agency. But I remember sitting in front of the global HR director, wondering why was I getting passed up for a position in my career? You know, I'm smart, I'm committed, I'm dedicated. I was in my 30s at the time. And she said, well, you don't have enough gray hair, meaning I didn't look old enough. <laughs> And I was like, wow, you're in human resources and you're telling me that I don't look old enough. So it was in that moment that I knew perception was everything, right? And so that I would have a sort of a gray ceiling, if you will, in this company. And so I I left that, ended up working for a couple of firms and then went through some personal life-changing events that led me to kind of take a step back and say, you know what? I'm really sort of exhausted working with some of these big firms And I wanted to create my own agency that was impacting the small to mid-sized business market, mainly for because I wanted to do something that was meaningful and brands that were making an impact, but also the speed in which decisions are made, the speed of implementation was really important to me. So that led me to start my own agency called Branding for the People. Yeah, that's great. And how many many years has it been now, by the way, since you've had your agency? So we officially launched January 2011. So I guess we're what on our 11th year, I guess. Yeah. And, and what was that jumping off point like for you? Like, how did you go about, you know, getting those first few clients and so on? That's an interesting question because I took about six months off after leaving the whole corporate world, mainly at that time, again, to just heal what I was dealing with personally, but also I was doing lots of reading and journaling and meditating and I started going to events, entrepreneurial type of events. And in that whole process, sort of it just hit me of like, wow, I think I should just start my own. Now, most of my contacts were in the corporate space, right? So I was like, all right, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And so I knew a lot of people. And it just so happened to be that I just started to attract. I knew a lot of people in New York. I just started to just talk with people. And you're like, hey, here's what I'm up to now. And I started to notice that a lot of these individuals and and entrepreneurs and startups, they sucked at branding. I was like, do you know that that's horrible branding? Do you know that that, you know, and then I, they started to hire me. And so what I did was I piloted, I took on three clients at a very, very, like, it's not what I charge today. And I said, here's the deal. Let me deliver some value for you. And I'm going to charge you this price, which is not what I will be charging in the future. But what I'm looking for is an opportunity to show my value and garner a testimonial. And so that's how it started. I had three to five clients and then it started to grow. And then I was like, well, 
the last thing I want to say inside of this question, because I'm sure you have a following question is I decided to do this on a bigger scale rather than just one-to-one all the time. And so I was in New York city. I rented out a loft and I put 56 people in the room. I put on a one day branding event to teach and inspire and educate this audience about branding. And it was from that event that I upsold people into my services And that's when I did my first six figures on the path of replacing my income working for the big firms, right? So that's how it kind of snowballed. And then I just sort of rinsed and repeat and started doing events. And then I started getting invited to speak at events, thousands and thousands of people. And it just kind of snowballed from there. As a quick break, I wanted to let you know about our newest video training, how to take charge of your agency's future revenue. By the end of this training, you're going to learn how we get two to five qualified appointments every week using tasteful and highly targeted email outreach. That might not sound like a lot, but once you understand the outreach napkin math, you're going to learn how this can lead to massive scale for your agency or B2B service company. In addition to that, you're going to learn the six steps for successful outreach campaigns based on everything that we've learned from working with more than 100 agencies since 2014. You're going to get the complete agency outreach tech stack so you understand the right tools for getting the right results. And you're going to see agency to brand email examples and get inspiration from high converting campaigns. So to get this 30 minute training, all you need to do is go to saleschema.com slash take charge. Again, that's saleschema.com slash take charge. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. So what did it take to to put on this first event? Like, how did you set it up? And is that something you've done before? Or was that completely new for you? No. So in terms of, uh, I'm not sure if like you or your audience might be familiar with uh, books like Traction or Rocket Fuel or anything like that. But, you know, I'm a I'm a true visionary, you know, and at the time, probably less so today, but at the time I was definitely more of a hustler. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to make this happen. I'm going to, I'm a creator, I'm a visionary. And so I never did it before, but you and I both know it's not really necessarily knowing the how it's first making the decision that you're going to do something. And then you get organized around figuring out the how. So what I did was I enrolled people in my vision. I created a model where I had sponsors for my event. I had someone completely sponsor the catering. And I said, all right, you have a startup catering business. I'm going to help put you on the map because I'm going to put X number of people in the room. They're going to get exposed to your services in exchange for that sponsorship, I'm looking for you to just cater the meal for the day. Then I enrolled an event planner who wanted to start an event planning business. And I said, okay, you handle the logistics. I'm going to give you an opportunity to event plan my, my one-day event. In exchange, you're going to be sort of the lead sponsor. And then she ended up, ended up hiring me to help her with her branding. So I got to tell you, dude, it, it was really just figuring it out based on the vision and getting people excited about my vision and my idea. And then I just ended up talking, like then I had to fill the room, right? So I created a whole brand experience because I'm a branding guy. So I had, I branded the entire event. It cost me some money, right? And then I charged people a ticket to come to my event, which helped basically cover the costs. Now at the time, this is like, what, 10 years ago, I was asking people to come to my one, one day event, mind you, for like $179, which I don't know, people are like, you're crazy. No one knows who you are. (laughs) I was like, are you kidding me? My hourly rate 
is more than that at these big firms. Cause I was coming out of the corporate mentality. It was like, my hourly rate is higher than that. And you have to spend a whole day with me and I'm going to feed them and I'm going to teach them. Anyway, that, that's what I did right or wrong. It worked for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's bold. And it sounds like it paid off really well. And one thing you mentioned that's, that's interesting, you said, you know, you used to be a hustler to kind of build this business and less so now. So I'd love to hear how has your, your day-to-day evolved? You know, what do you focus your time on now as an agency owner versus what have you gotten off your plate? The transition for me started three, about three to four years into my business where I realized my name was on every part of the organizational chart. And so I was basically building a practice, not a business. And so when I started to shift my mindset around, around building a business and starting populating that organizational chart with different people, then I started to seeing a pathway that I can actually grow a scale without getting burnt out. And so if you look at my time today, I am the acting CEO and the president of the company. So I run the agency. My team does the strategy, the creative, the websites, all the downstream client services, the fulfillment. And in addition to that, I think for every small agency, the CEO is still going to handle high-level sales. So I do high-level sales. I have a handful of clients that I am actively involved in, and that's by choice, right? There's, sometimes I'm in a season where I'm not taking on any clients, but I'm selective with the clients that where it takes up my private time. And I also wrote a book and I speak and I do interviews like this. <laughs> So that's really where my time is being spent is really more the visionary type of activities. And then there's the boring pieces of it, like looking at the numbers. Yeah. (laughs) Right. But that's, that stuff matters too, for sure. And, uh, well, and it's, it's great because I think one of the, one of the most common pieces of feedback we hear is the sort of like, Hey, I'm stuck in this cobbler's children mode. We're embarrassed that we do such great work for our clients, but not for ourselves. So it sounds like you're taking your own medicine and so on and getting, getting out there and everything. So with that, I'd love to just dig into to that a little bit more. Like, What were the some of those first roles that you hired? And if you could go back and do it again, is there anything you would do differently? Would you say, hey, I wish I had hired this, this type of person first instead of that type of person or anything like that? It was a range. So if I just really go back to that time frame, I thought what I needed to hire and what I did hire were like a virtual assistant to handle like a lot of the daily minutiae. I had at the time I had subcontractors or contractors to fulfill on the creative aspect because I'm more of a strategist, brand strategist. And so I can oversee creative, but I'm not the one that's going to go into the computer and do sketches and all that sort of stuff. So I contracted designers and yeah, m- mostly like administrative help. The other thing I should say is that they were contract and they were early stage in their careers. So that translated to that they were hungry <laughs> to get to work and they were excited about the vision. They were more aligned about, you know, having the opportunity to work alongside me. If I were to go back and do it, 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 this is always hard to say because it's like, I feel like every little step that I've made taught me something about growing an agency. And so had I not gone through this experience, I would not have learned. But if I do look from the perspective of what did I learn and what would I do differently? I would actually hire to delegate responsibilities, not tasks. And that's what I was doing before. I was basically delegating a task, but not a responsibility. And so that becomes a shift of building a business. So now I have people that are responsible for business development, client services, (laughs) creative, copy, et cetera. Yeah, I think that's that's really key. 
to dig into one of those sections, the business development section, which is what, what we focus on. You know, We're focusing on top of funnel for agencies and helping them get meetings and stuff. And then I found that that's one of the most challenging, but also lucrative things for an agency leader to get off of, of his or her plate. So I'd love to, to dig into that a little bit more. You know, How have you gone about that? Did you hire somebody to handle sales? Like, what, what's, what does that team look like now? Well, the timing of that this, uh, you're asking the question, and I don't know, it might change by the time this actually airs. But as of last Friday, I sort of lost my business development person. This person had to sort of deal with COVID, getting sick from that. So it was a sudden sort of uh, departure. However, we have systems in place and we have a really good, we have some funnels going. And then we also have a great referral base and brand partnership program where we acquire leads that way. So right now, you asked me the question, I'm kind of back in the seat of doing the sales, but also our agency is not a volume agency. So we have some long-term clients that we work with as sort of our base. And then we have openings for to bring on a few new clients at a time. That's and that, it's it's hard to entirely ever leave it in my experience the the new business seat you know right. uh, as the owner but there's a lot you can get off your plate so one one thing that was interesting is you talked about your foundation with with events and you know winning a lot of clients in an event scenario which is a really great way to do it has that tradition carried out throughout the years have you you know kind of kept up that event based approach or and how how has that evolved <clears throat> it's tapered down over the past two years. Not necessarily because of COVID. It was actually a year before COVID started that I actually decided to pull back on my speaking engagements and take time to write a book. So I, I wrote my first book and I had to do that because I was on the road at least two or three times a month. I had no time to write a book and I was speaking. And then every time I speak, we get lots of leads. So it's kind of tapered off over the past couple of years by choice. But I will tell you this. The ROI and all the speaking that I've done continues to pay off. If you speak and you're good and you deliver a ton of value and your presentation, people remember you. And so we just have people that even just as soon as last week heard me speak in an event in Canada three years ago, that's like, hey, we're ready for branding. So we still get an ROI on that activity you know, so if you're listening in and you're thinking about doing more speaking, like invest the time if you're willing to be a road warrior. And if you're in front of the right people, you deliver value, they'll remember you and they'll come back to you when they're ready. They might not be ready for you right away, but it's about building your audience, your community, your followers. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I guess one question is how transferable do you think that is? Because it sounds like you've, you've ramped up other new business people in the past. We had this sort of HubSpot model that was sort of arguing that, hey, new business people should be creating content and all this sort of thing. But I've always found that it's really hard to find that skill set. It's, it's hard to find somebody that can close deals and also create good content and be the face of the company and do all these things. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. You know, Could you get somebody else to sort of slot into this thought leadership position if you had to? I personally would keep those separate. But again, I haven't been convinced otherwise or seen a model where it does work, where they coexist in terms of content development or, or speaking and also doing the business development and the sales side of things. The reason why we keep that separate is because sometimes someone might be a great salesperson, but not a great speaker. So it, I guess it really depends is what I'm saying. <laughs> but I, I personally, I guess in my experience, because I'm the founder and because... I humbly say like, I'm really comfortable. Like that's my, you know, I'm really comfortable on a stage. That's my zone of, uh, of excellence, my zone of genius. 
I'm also really good at sales. I never thought I'd be, but I'm also really good at sales because to me, sales is really just inspiring people about a vision and seeing that you can help them. You know, I'm talking about like sales with integrity, not, not just slimy sales, right? And I'm sure you teach a lot of this stuff too. But I think if that's my role, then my job from a marketing perspective, so it's like basically separating marketing and sales is like the company does the marketing and whatever works, works for marketing. And then you want to funnel enough leads for the salesperson to then triage, you know, close and all that sort of jazz. Yeah. Which, which is in our experience, a healthy mindset, you know, it's, it's about division of duties and not having a load wolf that has to go do, do everything. Right. Just like you have a division of duties in, in any fulfillment process. To shift gears a little bit, you wrote a book. I, I've also written a couple, you know, and I, I'm about 20,000 words into a nice. first draft of, of, of another one about new business. And I haven't written, I kind of used, you know, self publishing to launch Sales Schema. And now it's been years and I've learned a lot in this process and finally ready to launch another one. So selfishly, partially for myself, but also for anybody else and the other agency owners out there that are thinking about doing this, what what should you keep in mind? What should you expect if you're going into this process of, of writing a book? <laughs> well, the first thing is that no one makes money off of books. <laughs> so for most agency owners, if you are going to write a book, it is basically a marketing tool to then... It's on the back end, basically. You make money on the back end. You don't make money on actually selling books. At least I haven't seen that from a lot of the people that I know. It's, it's really, it's a credibility play. It is a marketing tool. It's a door opener. Now, that being said, I don't want to rule out the possibility that someone makes a ton of money off of books, right? If you're self-publishing particularly. But I think the first thing to keep in mind is you have to get clear on what do you want this book to do for you and your business. And so most people don't clarify what that is. They just think, oh, I should write a book. But why do you want to write the book? And what, what are, how would you measure success in that book? Two, a book is meant to capture your thinking. It, it's meant to capture your thinking in a moment of time. When I started writing the book, it was sort of like I was kind of getting caught up in perfectionist syndrome and was like, oh, well, you know, the, we want to write a case study, but this case study is not done yet because we're still working on this brand and yada, yada, yada. And so, I ended up using case studies that were complete, even though I may not be working with them anymore, but it doc it documents the time. You can always do an abridged version. You can always do a, a, a book number two, like you're doing, right? So sometimes you may have multiple books in you. And so just think about getting your first book done, getting it out there. I think the third thing too is, I'll offer up this for everyone because there's a lot of crappy books out there. I would say the question you want to ask yourself is, do you want to have a book that to sell a lot of books, or do you want to have a book that impacts the people who are actually going to read it? So there's a lot of, even the whole New York Times bestseller and Wall Street Journal, that's a game in and of itself. And you can certainly play that game. And I'm sure it's, you know, for some people, that's their goal. That's what they want to achieve. And there's nothing wrong with that goal. Just know that that is a goal in and of itself. And it's about volume. It's about selling number of books. It isn't necessarily leading with getting the books in front of the right people who are meant to read your book and you are meant to impact. So if you want to have a book that is meant to impact your niche or your target audience, write that book for them and focus on that. That doesn't mean to say you can't sell a lot of books and do marketing, but lead from that. That would, that would be my suggestion, if you will. 
<laughs> yeah, that that was that was so great and, and helpful. And I think that it's it's funny because I've gone back through my old books and I'm like, ah, oh, I don't even really think that anymore. I'm not happy with how I expressed this here. Yeah. And then over time, like I think one of my friends kind of put this out the right way, which is that if you're if you don't feel like that, then that either means you have a lot of hubris or you you haven't evolved at all, right? So exactly. it's like it's healthy to have that that sort of feeling. Exactly. That's great. And to, to get a little bit, little bit of tactical, how do you suggest kind of getting this book out there and, and launching it and marketing it? I think I've always struggled between you want you know a certain amount of premium and credibility on the book and selling it like any others. On the other hand, I want to get it in as many hands as possible. You know, like you sometimes you see free giveaways of book with paying for shipping or whatever. So tactically, is there anything that you found to work really well for kind of balancing those things, if that makes any sense? Well, any kind of response I'd say, whoever's listening in, I think you have to look things in context. It really goes, I'm a strategist at heart. So it really kind of depends on what you're trying to do strategically that informs what you do tactically. So my experience is only based on one experience, one book, and maybe just peripherally what I've seen for other you know, entrepreneurs and influencers that I know. But if you start with the couple of premises, one being, this is going to sound really harsh, no one really cares about your book. <laughs> <laughs> Two, like even getting people to write like blurbs for your book or whatever, like it's a process just to get people to help contribute because they're, no one really cares about your book. And then two, a lot of people don't have time to read all the books that they want to read. And I forget the exact numbers, but most people would actually prefer an audio book. <laughs> and then the other third premise, which I mentioned earlier, is that no one really makes money off of selling books. So if you just have those things running in the background, I think what there is to sort of look at is, okay, write a book that's going to hit all the bases of like, I don't know, Amazon bestseller or whatever like that, but it's going to give the book into the hands of the people that you were meant to sell it to. For example, for me, we did a pre-order phase, blasting to our community. I got people who were in the book. I got some other influencers to promote the book. And what we did was rather than giving the book away for a dollar, we asked people to buy X number of books and in exchange, they would get these types of bonuses. So that was a strategy that I used. So you're constantly developing value. That's just one idea. I know some people who market a book and it's free or it's whatever, they just pay for shipping, but then there's like an upsell, which is a course, a $500, $499, $497 course, right? And then there's uh, other strategies where you know people they don't really care about selling the actual physical book. They just want people to buy the ebook so they can get a certain whatever status. So I'm trying to answer your question, but I just want to let you yeah. know there's different tactics depending on the strategy. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's super useful. And the, the idea is that it's, it's a marketing tool. <laughs> In the early days before I knew anything, I didn't learn that lesson, but I think now that's kind of, that was the early days of self-publishing. So I think a lot of people didn't either. So, uh, mm-hmm. so that's good to know. I and mean, to finally kind of move into to what you're actually doing, I love the cover and the name of your book because it's such a great old school pattern interrupt. And it's, it's called Your Brand Should Be Gay. So I'm sorry to make you have to sum everything up, but w- what do you mean by that? <laughs> no, it's a common question I get. Now, but in all fairness, there's a second part to that. So it's Your Brand Should Be Gay in parentheses, even if you're not. And so it's exactly what you said. You know, it's a pattern interrupt, but I'm actually teaching the power of branding through my book title. I personally want to do a book that sort of stood out, that was different than all the other branding books that are, are out there. And so the book cover, if you look it up on Amazon, right, it's a pink color book. 
How many pink cover books do you see? And then you have this big, bold text on there that says your brand should be gay, even if you're not. And so the response that I want is exactly what you just said. Well, what do you mean by that? Right? So it piques curiosity. Branding should create an emotion, right? You're either going to be, you're going to have a laugh about it. You're going to be inspired by it. You might even be pissed off or offended by it. So it elicits an emotion. And then a strong brand is polarizing. And so you're going to have people who are going to become raving fans of the book. And then you're going to have people who are going to be turned off by the book that you're like, ah. And it's what's interesting. Secondarily, I also know that branding and language really can create a perception of people's minds. And it's really open to their interpretation. Because what if I meant your brand should be happy, right? <laughs> There's a couple of different ways I can interpret it. But anyway, so I'm just based, I'm teaching through the uh, the power of branding of, of having a brand that's bold and provocative. Now, it just so happens to be that I identify as a gay man. And I, it's not something I really wear on my sleeve all the time. It's not like I'm in a closet, but it's not something I wear on the sleeve all the time. But the book really is about authenticity. And so if for people who listen to me or follow me, if they didn't know that I was gay, well, guess what? Now they know. And I actually could care less whether or not someone is, accepts me for that identifier or not, because me being authentic and me being who I am, and this is my message for other people as a brand, whether you're a personal brand or a business brand, own who you are unapologetically and not be afraid to piss off a couple of people or to offend people because those people you weren't meant to work with. Right. Yeah. I think that's, that's really important. And Kind of bringing this, you know, towards towards the end of our time, I'd love to just learn, you know, what are you working on now? Like as the the, the founder and owner, where are you putting your energy? Like what's what's exciting you? What's getting you up in the morning? Yeah. So I'm not sure if you've heard this term uh, from Dan Sullivan, but it's like you're either a simplifier or multiplier. So I'm a, I'm a multiplier. <laughs> so I have the agency, but then I also have a couple of things building out. Like I do these high-end personal branding retreats for like some high-level clients. And then I'm also building out a branding certification program to help and certify other marketers, coaches, consultants, branders around building a brand and and their strategic process so that they can elevate their game and help them grow. So those are the things that kind of excite me in terms of our impact and what we're doing in the world. So it's more than just agency work. And I think that's the other thing too, to help other, other agency owners listening is having a diverse revenue stream is really key to really creating a if that's what you want, right? But having a diverse revenue stream so that you're not always reliant on clients. Yeah, and that's that's something that we're working on and thinking about a lot too. And I almost I always think of this something I read and it was in it was in a health book of some sort. It was talking about how they used to think of calories as being all created equal. If you got calories from potato chips, calories from broccoli, they're the same. Over time, they realize that's that's BS, and the, where the calories come from matters. Obviously, calories and vegetables are going to be better than potato chips. I think the revenue is a little bit like that sometimes, you know. <laughs> so your service is great, you know, like fuels everything else. I found it's often the best starting place. It doesn't just go away, but you got to start adding other things. So that's, right. that's, that's right. where we're at as well. So that's, that's great to hear. Ray, thank you so much for your time. And how can people follow what you're up to and get in touch and all those good things? Yeah, I guess the two main things are just uh, everything is all on brandingforthepeople.com. Uh, so it's branding for F-O-R, thepeople.com. And then there's my book, yourbrandshouldbegay.com. Awesome. We'll get that linked up and uh, hopefully get you back on before long. So appreciate it, Ray. Thank you so much. Enjoy your day. Thanks, sir. Thanks for listening to this episode. Again, today's episode is sponsored by our company, Sales Schema. 
Sales Schema helps agencies and B2B service companies build a reliable business development system through tasteful and targeted outreach. To learn more about us and check out our latest video training, again, you can go to saleschema.com slash take charge. Again, that's saleschema.com slash take charge.